Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of James, chapter 3. My name is Nate Farrow, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your elders and a staff member, uh, minister here on staff, and uh, grateful this morning for the privilege I have to open God's word with you as Pastor Matt is out uh, with a, at a family wedding this weekend, so he'll be back with us next week. Uh, but we are continuing in the series that we have been in for some weeks now called Brand New, where we are looking at scripture each week and helping us to identify some of the marks or actions that shape the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus. And so you'll remember last week, if you were here, Pastor Dennis took us to Ephesians 6, and we looked at the essential role of prayer in the life of a believer, or as he helpfully put it, the importance of communicating with God. And today, we're going to be turning our attention to James, and we're going to be thinking about communication once again, but specifically, we're going to consider the importance of communication with others, or as James puts it, the power of the tongue. You know, studies have shown that in an average day, uh, a human generally will speak anywhere from 15 to 20,000 words uh, on a daily basis. And I know for some of you in this room, that number may be way higher. And then for some of you, that number may be a little lower, but generally speaking, 15 to 20,000 words a day is where we land. And it may be stating the obvious, but our words and what we say really do matter, especially uh, when you consider all of the different ways in which we might communicate. And so with our voice, uh, communicating through sign language, communicating through written uh, word, through texts and emails and social media and all of those things, uh, words are important and they do matter. And when we look at scripture, when we open the Bible, we see the significance of words from the very first chapter. In Genesis chapter one, we see that God, our creator, speaks. Our God is a speaking God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The pinnacle of God's creation happens when he creates uh, man and woman and makes them in his own image. And because we image God, meaning there are certain things about who God is that we re reflect uniquely, uh, we also speak. We see in Genesis also that there is an enemy of God who speaks, right? In Genesis chapter three, we see that Satan speaks and convinces Adam and Eve to sin against God by questioning God's own words. And Satan says to them, did God really say? And in that moment, God's image bearers doubted his good words, chose to rebel, uh, brought sin into the world and into all of humanity, distorting and twisting everything that God had created and made good. And although tainted by sin, our words still remain incredibly important. You know, I'm, I'm definitely no history buff, but just a simple Google search of major historical events reveals that some of our greatest and most evil times in history were shaped and influenced by words. Pastor Alistair Begg uh, has a quote that, that I think is really helpful. He says, the history of humanity is a history of the use of the tongue. The history of humanity is a history of the use of the tongue. And on a personal level, you and I know the uh, significance and impact that words can have. You know, it just so happens that, um, that on this day, seven years ago, July or uh, May 29th, 2015, 
I was standing on a platform at Gabrella Manor in Roebuck, Alabama, and professing my love to my wife, Rachel. And so seven years ago today, we, we got married and stood there and professed our love for one another, our faithfulness to one another in front of our friends and family. My dad um, officiated the wedding and encouraged us from scripture for the life journey that we were about to embark on. And those words and the words of joy and encouragement that were shared with us from all those who um, had attended have helped make that moment incredibly special and make that moment one that we love to reflect on, um, uh, especially on days on this day. We love to think about our anniversary and remember all of those uh, wonderful memories that we have. But even though there are joyful moments in life that are shaped by words, some of our deepest moments, some of our deepest pains and sorrows are also equally shaped by words. It didn't take me long to realize uh, after being married that with the same tongue I had stood and vowed my love for Rachel and professed my undying love for her from that same mouth would also come things that were going to hurt her and words that were painful, words out of moments of frustration or anger or carelessness. I was just as easily and just as prone to say things that were unkind or unloving. And although uh, over the seven years we can celebrate and say God has given us so much grace and growth in our marriage, we have to continually work at apologizing and forgiving and asking the Lord to help us in the way that we use our words towards each other. And, and if I was to go around this room, each of you would be able to share numerous ways that you have been impacted or have impacted others with words. No matter how we may be tempted to, to downplay it, the reality is that our words really do matter. This is why James, the brother of Jesus, spends significant time in this letter uh, that he's writing to churches to candidly address the use of the tongue. And so in James chapter three, we're gonna read verses one through 12, and you can follow along with me in your Bible or on the screen as I read out loud. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, the very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. And so the book of James is, 
just five chapters long. And in this letter, James is really helping early Christian churches see what a faith that is in motion looks like. And so in a lot of ways, this entire book could be the subject of the brand new series because it's full of instruction on living in response to the grace and mercy that we have received from God. And throughout this letter, there are different moments where James talks about the importance and significance of speech. But in chapter three, he gives it the greatest attention. And and in this passage that we just read, James is helping us to understand that what we say matters. And from the very first verse, we see that our words matter because our words have influence. Our words have influence. As you can tell from what I just read, James does not like to mince words. There's not a lot of warm fuzzies that are gonna be found in reading these 12 verses. And this passage begins in a way um, that has really made it a little uncomfortable for myself or anyone teaching through it over the last 2,000 years. James says, not many should become teachers because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. What seems likely to be happening here is that as the Christian church began to grow, there were many who desired to be teachers, but not for the the privilege and responsibility of teaching the word, but for the honor and the prestige and the privileges that being seen as a teacher in that day brought along with it. And so at first glance, it may feel like this verse is disconnected from the rest of the passage, but if we were to ask the question, why would a warning to teachers be in verse one, an obvious answer is that the primary tool Bible teachers use to communicate is their tongue, is their words. And anyone who is opening the Bible and teaching is saying, in effect, this is what God has said and what God has said holds authority over our lives. And so it's a weighty responsibility. And as James says, it is one that will not go unaccounted for. You know, sadly, as as you just um, heard Scott James pray, it's not hard for us to imagine that happening around us today. This past week, the Southern Baptist Convention, our, our own denomination published a report that revealed a dark history of abuses of power and people um, at the hands of some of our prominent leaders and, and Bible teachers. You know, on this past Wednesday, we had our monthly elder council meeting and uh, we spent some time discussing and praying uh, specifically about the revelations that came from this report. And, and I just wanna say, I was reminded again how thankful I am for a senior pastor and for a group of elders who, um, who hate this kind of sin, who hate the darkness and the pain that this has caused to so many, who are thankful that God is bringing it to light and, and who take seriously the call to care for the faith family that God has uh, entrusted them with and take seriously the calls and warnings that we see in scriptures like James in verse one that we just read. So if you're someone here who has the privilege of teaching the Bible, whether that is through preaching or leading small groups or teaching one of our focus studies or even teaching one-on-one with a friend, James's warning here shouldn't be a cause for us to shrink back from this task, but it should encourage us to move forward in humility and complete dependence on God, asking him to keep us, to protect us from using our words for selfish gain. Our words have influence and our words also have power. Words have power. 
In verses three through five of our text, James now turns to familiar analogies to help his readers understand just how powerful the tongue really is. In verse three, he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they, may, so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. So this probably won't come as a, a shock to many of you, but I'm not particularly a fan of riding horses. And this probably comes as even less of a shock to you. Horses are not particularly fans of me riding on them. So uh, it's kind of a mutually beneficial relationship. But I do love my family. And several years ago, before I was married, uh, my parents and my brother and I were on vacation and they, who happened to all be horse lovers, wanted to go trail riding um, where we were staying. And so despite the, uh, the Holy Spirit's check in me to not go, I went ahead and went along with them because I love them. Um, and I'll never forget as they lined us up, we were there with a big group of people and they, they kind of line everybody up and give you all your equipment and then they start bringing out one by one, bringing out everyone's horse. And I was, in the, I was one of the last people in the line. And so I just kind of watched all these beautiful trail horses get troped out and brought to the person and they hop on them and it's just, you know, right off into the sunset kind of moment. And the, the guy got down to me and he looked me up and down. He said, I've got the perfect horse for you. And he looked to his assistant, he said, bring out Samson. <laughs> and so his assistant left, went into the barn. All I heard was very loud horse noises. Dust began to billow out of the barn. And I'm not kidding you, out walked a giant Clydesdale named Samson. Uh, a Clydesdale who sadly his life had been relegated to following a bunch of trail horses all day, carrying around some of the larger clientele that went on trail rides there. And so for the next couple of hours, uh, you know, it was not extremely comfortable for me or for Samson, but we did get through the ride. And part of how we got through that was by that little bit that was in Samson's mouth. Although at any moment he could have decided to, to break free and do whatever he wants to, because of this bit in his mouth and the pressure that it put on him, it was in his best interest to respond to that pressure and to allow his body to go with the directions that the pressure was putting on him. The, the bit controlled the whole body. James uses that analogy and then he uses another analogy of a ship, a giant ship being controlled by a tiny rudder, by this small, uh, in comparison thing that actually has a lot of power. And, and when we get to verse five, we see why James is making these analogies for the tongue. He says, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. And he's right, the tongue can boast of great things even though it is so small and seemingly insignificant. Think again about the impact of words in the course of our world's history. Just in our modern history, mentioning names like Adolf Hitler, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr. bring to mind words that have shaped our world. Some of those for evil, some of those for good, but all in part were because of the power and influence of words. And this, doesn't, this is also, uh, we see this on an individual level as well. There are so many ways in which we see the power of words play out in our lives. It's not exclusive to one group of people. If, if you're a single adult, your words carry tremendous power that can build up, that can tear down your friendships, your small group community, your family, and even 
yourself, if, if you're married or if you have children, your words have tremendous power that affect your spouse, that affect your children. If you're a kid in the room and the way you talk to your mom and dad really does matter, your words have power. Not just in what you say, but as you may have heard a few times before, how you say it is important. Your words matter. In your workplace, the way that you communicate and talk with those who you spend significant portions of your day with matter. Uh, in sports, especially if, if you're a coach, your words have this kind of power. I still remember specific things that coaches have said to me over decades ago, some that have helped shape me and build me up, some that were encouraging, uh, and then others that I can't share with you here that didn't serve such a helpful purpose. But you know, maybe a, an exercise for you is today, uh, as you're eating lunch with friends or family, you can take some time to talk about the ways that you have seen the power of words use, be used to build up or tear down. Our words have influence, our words have power, but our words also have an authority problem. Our words have an authority problem. Beginning in the second half of verse five and going through verse eight, James is about to turn up the metaphors a few notches, trying to help us understand the true state of the tongue. Look at verse six with me, and I just want you to follow along as I list off some of the, describe, the things used to describe the tongue in these few verses. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by hell. The tongue is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. So this section isn't exactly gonna make our inspirational verse of the day or an Instagram post this week, but, but what is being made clear here uh, is that the tongue has incredibly destructive capabilities, especially when our words go unchecked and uncontrolled. James is even pulling back some of that Genesis 1 imagery to help paint this picture for us. When he says in verse 7, he's reminding us that we have been given dominion over all of the animals and over all of the earth, and we have tamed all of the wild animals uh, of the earth, like Clydesdale horses, but we still can't tame the tongue. And he's highlighting that not only are things bad, but in reality, there doesn't seem to be a lot that we can do about it. On our own and in our natural state of being, our words have an authority problem and they possess potential for causing a lot of destruction. You know, even as believers, even as followers of Christ, we still see this truth rearing its head in our lives, don't we? And I just, uh, just as a way to help us kind of think about that and identify some potential areas, I just want to ask you a few assessment questions. And these are just kind of uh, spitfire questions that I'm gonna ask you and just want you to think about the answer to yourself so you can listen and answer silently for yourself um, and don't answer for the person next to you. This is for you. But seven questions. Number one, do I react to stress with anger or hurtful words directed at those close to me? Do I ever react to stress with angry or hurtful words directed at those closest to me? Number two, 
Do I ever have to get something off my chest, no matter who it may hurt? Number three, do I use silence as a way to communicate my hurt or my anger? Number four, do I express thoughts or opinions on social media that I wouldn't express in person? Number five, do I enjoy sharing personal details of someone's life under the guise of caring or praying for them? Number six, do I ever say nice things about someone to their face that I would not say or think behind their back? And then number seven, am I a human who uses words? The answer is yes to that question, probably. These questions aren't exhaustive, and th these questions aren't intended to be a checklist that gives you an all clear on the good Christian exam. What these questions are intended to help us all see is not just the danger of the uncontrolled tongue, but also the sneaky and the pervasive ways that destructive words work themselves into our everyday lives. The truth is all of us are probably missing the mark at various times and in various seasons of our lives. But James takes it even further. He says, your words aren't just destructive to those around you. Your words are destructive, uncontrolled words are destructive to ourselves. In the second half of verse six, he says the tongue stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire. And the reason is because our words ultimately reveal our heart. Our words reveal our heart. In verses nine through 12, James closes this passage by pointing out the inconsistency of the tongue. He says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Thinking about the, just the, the inconsistency of the tongue, I read an article recently that had a list going back 30 years of quotes from head coaches in college sports who had made passionate and adamant and sometimes outrageous claims about their loyalty and commitment to their university only to leave within a couple of days or a couple of weeks after said statement. Uh, and, and I'm not gonna list them off or read them. A lot of you probably are familiar. There are a few that hit really close to home, uh, but we won't get in to all of that today. You know, it, it, was, it was pretty funny reading that list now, although I'm sure at the time it was not that funny for fan bases or athletic departments, but it was a comical illustration of just the, the consistency or inconsistency of our words and how it even had played out in the highest level of sports when the cameras rolling, but in a more serious way, what James is pointing out to us is the inconsistency and the hypocrisy of being people who would gather to worship God on Sunday with that same kind of passion, with those same kind of adamant statements, with those same pledges of loyalty, only to turn around and walk out into the world on Monday ready to drop our latest hot takes or our destructive words about those who carry his image, about his fellow image bearers. 
James says it shouldn't be this way. As I've heard it said before in a lot of ways, how we talk about people says a lot about what we think about God. How we talk about people says a lot about what we think about God. And in the last two verses of our passage, 11 and 12, James continues to use his metaphors to show us that, that inconsistency and hypocrisy in our speech actually is revealing something about our heart. The metaphors he used, he says, a spring doesn't pour out fresh and bitter water. A fig tree doesn't grow olives. A grapevine doesn't grow figs. Salt water can't produce fresh water. And really what he's doing is echoing exactly what Jesus himself said. In, James, or in Matthew 15, Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. The words we speak are an overflow from what is in our heart. And the implication for this truth is massive and hopefully we don't miss it this morning and it's this, Christ honoring speech doesn't come from saying pure words, it comes from having a pure heart. And that means it's not something that can be faked or fabricated. It's something that only Christ can give to us and through the gospel he does exactly that. And so for those in Christ, those with a pure heart, there is being produced in us a desire for and an ability to speak pure words. In Christ and by the power of the Spirit in us, our metaphors now should sound more like this, a fresh spring that pours only fresh water, fig trees that grow figs, a grapevine that produces grapes, salt water that produces more salt water. Christ-honoring speech doesn't come from saying pure words, it comes from having a pure heart. And Christ gives that to us. Over and over in these 12 verses, the message that rings true is that our words matter. They matter because they have influence, they matter because they have power, they matter because they have an authority problem, and ultimately they matter because they reveal our hearts. You know, I love, I love passages in the Bible that end with some really clear next steps, right? I just, I love some good old concrete imperatives to say, hey, here's what you should do next. But that's not what James does here. We aren't given a list of tips for more righteous speech or uh, some, some platitudes on how to best control the tongue. And so if we aren't careful, we may be tempted to walk away from these kinds of passages uh, thinking that the takeaway is that you and I are missing the mark and the remedy is that we just need to suck it up and be better. We need to try a little harder, which inevitably is gonna lead us right back to where we started, except now we're gonna be a little more defeated and a lot more hopeless. I want you to, to remember back to the introduction of this sermon when I talked about the voices that we see in the Bible, that we see that we have a God who speaks. We see that he created man who also speaks. We see that Satan speaks and eventually we see sin enter the world and create in us sinful hearts, sinful desires, and sinful speech. And if it ended there, then trying harder really is the only remedy that we have and it's a pretty hopeless one at that. But if we keep reading the Bible, 
If we keep reading God's very words given to us, we see another voice enter the world. It's the voice of Jesus. It's the voice of God in human flesh. It is the voice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I would just want you to listen to some of the words that he has to say. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Before he went to the cross, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then as he was hanging on the cross, he spoke three words that changed everything. It is finished. And it's through his death and his resurrection that redemption became possible for anyone who will repent of their sins and put their trust in him for forgiveness. So what do we do? So Brooke Hills, remember that Christ gives us a new life and a new way to speak. And the good news for you this morning is that if you are feeling defeated because of your words, if you are tired of hurting those you love most with destructive speech, or if you're here this morning having been wounded by the words of others, there is hope for you today. I just wanna offer as we close three points of application. Number one, as a follower of Jesus, you have been granted full access to God the Father, not as his enemies, but as his children. So speak to God in prayer and worship. If you, if you weren't here last week, go listen to Dennis's sermon on prayer and be encouraged to speak to God. Ask him for his help with your words. Ask him again. Keep asking him. Ask him for his help to forgive others when their words fail them. Praise him when he does help you and helps others with their words. Keep showing up, keep gathering with this church, keep joining and being with us to worship him together. Speak to God in prayer and worship. Number two, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you, who has promised to complete the work that he started and then speak to others in truth and love. It is by the work of the Spirit in us, by grace-enabled effort, as I've heard Pastor Sean say before, encourage one another with your words. Speak words of life to one another often. Ask for forgiveness when your words fail. Freely forgive when others' words fail. Speak the truth in love even when it is hard to do. Keep trusting and depending on God to finish the work in you that he has promised to complete. And then finally, number three, rest in God's love for you that is unchanged by your words or the words of others because it is secured by his word. Rest in God's love for you because that is unchanged by your words and the words of others because his love is secured by his word. And then speak the gospel to the church and to the world. 
The message of the gospel isn't just good news for those who haven't heard it yet. Church, it is great news for us every single day. Speak the gospel to yourself. Speak the gospel to others in this church. It is good news for those who are in Christ and whose words fall short. And then let's use our limited words in this life, our, our finite amount of words that God has granted us in this life to remind each other of the gospel and then to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all may know and believe in the one who has come to bring new life and a new way of speaking.